0: On today's episode, we're talking five, all 22 takeaways from week eight of the NFL season. And we're talking my favorite rivalry in the NFL right now, NFL fantasy analysts versus Falcons head coach, Arthur Smith. Let's get it. This is Renner Ranks, the ultimate NFL ranking show. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This episode was brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more right now. New customers can bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On to get started. This is Renner Ranks. I am Mike Renner, host of Renner Ranks, NFL Draft Analyst here at The Messenger, breaking down the all 22 takeaways. I've grinded the tape, a lot of games to work with. We had all, all 32 teams in action this week here prior, obviously, so 30 of them. Prior to Monday Night Football here. Let's get right into it. At number five, we're going to have to talk about my Packers, unfortunately. Because I've accepted the fact that they stink. But they really are reaping what they've sowed with their draft decisions. That is my biggest takeaway from watching these Packers. Obviously, always the optimist I am heading into the season. I thought maybe these guys could develop. But it's been something I've been talking about since... The past couple years when they drafted all these receivers and tight ends, and obviously since they drafted Jordan Love as well back in 2020, that you have an inaccurate quarterback and love's accuracy is you know probably above the NFL threshold. Like it's good enough to get by with, but he's still on the lower end for NFL starters. But you have an inaccurate quarterback throwing to the receiving core with the worst ball skills in the NFL right now. That is I don't even think a debate or a hot take or even close. (laughs) The statistics are mind boggling when you look at them in terms of pure drop rate. They are at 8.2 percent, second highest in the NFL. Jets are the only team that's been worse this season. So 8.2 percent drop rate bad, but it's their work in contested situations, according to PFF. And when I looked this up and saw how drastic it was, I could not believe it. They are 9 of 43 in contested situations this year. 9 of 43, 20.9%. One out of five they're securing in contested situations this year. The next worst team, So that's the fewest contested catches of any team in the NFL, one. The team that's the next worst on this list is the Kansas City Chiefs at 30.3%. Damn have near 10 percentage points worse than anyone else in the NFL right now. The Green Bay Packers receivers have been in contested situations. And this is, again, what they drafted. It's been something I've been saying since they took all these guys. Luke Musgrave's career drop rate in college was 16.1%. Christian Watson's career drop rate in college was 12.6%. D'Ontavion Wick's career drop rate in college was 14.3%. Jaden Reed's 8.5%. Romeo Dobbs, really the only one who didn't have super big hand concerns coming out at 5.8%, but he was not definitely not as good as you would have expected him to be in contested situations back in Nevada, which is something I was worried about and obviously hasn't been great this year in contested situations. So really green Bay Packers, I don't know how you continue on with just this receiving court, right? There's no like these guys develop. You have too many guys who are too inconsistent that – I don't think this is something that ever gets fixed, right? You, you, the Larry Fitzgerald's of the world, the guys that really don't drop passes, they did that. They were not dropping passes in college, right? They, they, they've been there. They've been that guy. Like it's it's not a full-on determination of how good you're going to be and whatnot and how good your hands are going to be. But it's hard to see guys going from as bad as it gets. And if you're over 10% drop rate over the course of a collegiate career, when you have the sample size that some of these guys do, That's enough to say they're never going to have good hands, right? These guys are never turning into George Pickens overnight from a hands perspective. It's just not going to happen. And so you can afford one, two of those guys on a roster and expect to get by. You can't afford every single guy you're throwing the football to to be that. And then, oh, by the way, your quarterback's missing a lot of guys too. So it's just going to look awful at times. And I don't think I have to tell Packers fans how awful it has looked over the past handful of weeks. It seems like they play the same game every week. They don't show up in the first half. They tease a couple of good drives in the second half, and then ultimately, well, you drop another game. Packers, there's no, there's just no upset. You have to, you can't, you have to revamp this receiving core. You have to get guys there in that receiving core who are sure-handed, or it's going to look like this continuously. I don't care if these guys are getting open. That's just too many drops, too many uh inconsistencies to survive with in your seam core. so backwards are reaping what they sowed at number four i want to talk a little more positive positive. and how cool is it watching this rookie class of quarterbacks yesterday with levis in his first career start looking awesome bryce young versus cj stroud going down to the wire bryce young leading an NFL, leading a game-winning drive there at the end with a big fourth down conversion That was a lot of fun to watch, man, because after how bad the 2021 and 2022 rookie classes of quarterbacks looked, we need some positive. We need some positive momentum at that position, man. Quarterback play is at an all time low, not an all time low, at a probably like decade plus year long lull in terms of, you know, we've just had too many guys retire in recent years that were good, whether it's Breeze, then Brady. Rivers Roethlisberger, Rogers now on the out uh Matt Ryan like too many guys who were good high-end quarterbacks not get replaced not get backfilled with some of these incoming quarterback classes that we needed this positive momentum and you know the the young and Stroud we've been seeing them play all year that truly like Stroud who was 16 to 24 140 yards that was a weird game he had a number of like just near misses. That were down the field. That if they go the other way, we're thinking talking about a much different game and a much different form. Some C.J. Stroud, not worried at all about that from him. Young, very encouraging. Had two great plays outside the pocket. Still took six sacks. That offensive line still an absolute disaster. Ikiaquanu, top five pick from a year prior. I'd be scared if I'm a Panthers fan. This is not. This is not the direction you want your tackle to be going, right? He looks worse, legitimately. Like The confidence looks shot there at left tackle with just getting his butt kicked in this game. But Bryce Young makes the plays on the stretch. The fourth and two play was awesome to Adam Thielen, even though he had two guy receivers end up in like the same spot and it was a little contentious. I thought he handled that drive fantastically. And then Will Levis, man. Talk about a debut for that guy. He was humming it six attempted passes, 35 plus yards down the football field. The most of any quarterback in a game since 2017 tied for the most. I think Russell Wilson did it once too over that span, but he was just chucking it, man. That was, um, that was fun to watch. It reminded me as you know, a lifelong Packers fan. That was kind of how Brett Favre games used to look back in the day where they're just, he's just throwing up shots, right? He's just throwing, he's just taking chances. And Sometimes those prayers get answered. Like the, the first touchdown to D hop uh, up the sideline against AJ Terrell. There was nothing good about that throw other than D hop had good positioning and you trust your guy to make a play. It was probably about seven, eight yards off target. D hop makes a play. The, the other deep ball, to D hop is a little bit better. And then the final one to Nick Westbrook Aquino was an absolute dime. That one was 55 yards, I think through the air. To a spot as he's getting crushed the, the i thought there was a lot to like outside of just you know the obvious fact that he's got a cannon for an arm but just it, it was really jarring watching how suddenly he moves in the pocket man will levis is like twitched up dude like everything just seems fast like even him getting out of center and giving handoffs the dude is flying <laughs> off of off the ball it, it looks uh, it looks like a tight end getting out in space when he does and I think there was a lot to like now still inaccuracies. He put his receivers to the ground a few times, had even the one touchdown to D hop was like behind him. That's par for the course for Will Levis, right? He's never going to be the most accurate guy. You just have to hope that those inaccurate balls are not the ones that are getting into tight windows, getting picked off, which was kind of his whole problem at Kentucky. Attacking too many tight windows that he didn't have the arm to hit. So had the one play. That should have been picked off. That was kind of a panicky through to Chigakonkwo, who was literally blocking on the play because it was a play action. And that one's the rookie mistake. But I thought he handled pressure well. I thought he was fearless when the pressure did come and stood in and took some shots. That's going to have to be necessary behind this Titans offensive line. I thought it was good enough that Tannehill comes back. Not even just good enough. It's just like poised enough that you're starting this guy the rest of the year. you got to figure out what you got. you got to get him the reps. Uh, you got to prepare for the future right now because that's just where you as franchise. When you're selling off Kevin Byer at the deadline, you're not playing for this season. You're playing for the future. And Will Levis, that was more than encouraging enough for me to say I'm playing for the future with him the rest of this season. All right, on to number three. We'll get to number three here in a second. But first, our partners at eBay Motors teamed up with Lockdown Fantasy Football host Vinny Iyer to bring you some of the best fantasy picks each week all season long, whether you're preparing for a daily draft or scouting the waiver wire every week, we're going to provide you players that are guaranteed to fit your roster. So let's see who Vinny has picked out for us in this week's eBay's guaranteed fit fantasy picks of the week. It's to uh, Falcons wide receiver. Drake London had a rather quiet week eight against the Titans secondary as he caught only five passes for 55 yards, but he should be targeted to get on track with a much bigger game against a vulnerable Vikings secondary in week nine with the potential QB change looming to Taylor Heineke, Atlanta should be more effective downfield passing team. London also could see some high volume in the game. Vinny Iyer from lockdown fantasy football is going to help you win your fantasy championship and eBay motors knows that championship team is about each player being a perfect fit. Same with your vehicle with over 222 million parts For your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof rack, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. eBay Guaranteed Fit, only available to U.S. customers. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, my third takeaway from Week 8 of the NFL. Dexter Lawrence, the Giants' nose tackle. Oh, my Lord. It, I, he is still somehow underrated. Uh, you, when you talk about the best defensive tackles in the NFL, obviously Chris Jones, Aaron Donald's still up there, probably guys you get most of the hype about. But Dexter Lawrence, is not, it's not apples to apples because he's a nose tackle. He is rushing head up over centers, and then asked to play two gaps in the run game, right? Like it's just a completely different skill set that you have to possess to do what Chris Jones does, what Aaron Donald does, versus what Dexter Lawrence does. And the latter, what Lawrence is asked to do, is usually just – it's usually harder than this, right? its It usually doesn't look like what he looks like. This past week against the New York Jets, I do not – I cannot recall a nose tackle having a more dominant game than what he had. And truthfully, since I've been watching football at PFF 2012 season, I guess that's a decade now, over a decade now, um, since I've been analyzing games, I've never seen a nose tackle as dominant as pass rushers Dexter Lawrence. He had 15 pressures in this game. 15 pressures. 15 pressures is a good, not good season, but that is a full season for a lot of nose tackles around the NFL. That's that's 17 games. You can expect 15 pressures from some of these guys that teams are throwing out at nose tackle, which is which is okay. The nose tackles aren't supposed to rush the passer, right? They're supposed to hold their gaps in the running game and then kind of play patty cake, and that's fine when they want to rush the passer. Dexter Lawrence will bull rush every single center in the NFL back in quarterback slaps, and it's just he's so much stronger than these guys. It is incredible. He literally dislocated Connor McGovern's knee in this game via the bull rush. That's It's hard to really dominate a guy more than that. They're physically injuring him on a play. He had eight pressures a week ago. 23 now over the past two weeks. There's, I think he has over 40 on the season already. It, I just have not, again, no tackles aren't supposed to do this. They don't. They, they, they aren't even asked to do this. Yet Dexter Lawrence still week in and week out. It was unbelievable. I mean, his game looked like it could have been a highlight reel for someone else. That could be your season-long highlight reel, what he did in that single game. So, yeah, when you're putting lists together, most impactful defensive players in football, I still think Miles Garrett's one. But Dexter Lawrence is a lot higher up on that list than I think a lot of people will want to give him credit for or have given him credit for just because it's so different what he's bringing to the table and where it's coming from. Pressure right up the center is the most. Steve Palazzolo did the studies back at PFF. It is the most impactful pressure you can get, is that stuff right in your face, right in your lap. Maybe it doesn't lead to many sacks, but it leads to a lot of incompletions, and boy, did it ever this past weekend. All right, number two takeaway from this past Sunday. It's my favorite one. Arthur Smith versus the fantasy analyst is the best rivalry in the NFL right now. Arthur Smith cannot stop putting his foot in his mouth. He cannot stop just triggering everyone on Twitter because of his just complete refusal to care about fantasy football whatsoever. And not just care about fantasy football whatsoever. Like admit some like basic truths that, Hey Drake London, Kyle Pitts, B. John Robinson are your best players on offense that, you know, giving those guys, finding ways to get those guys to football is a good thing for your offense. And coaches will say that, you know, the whole players over plays thing, getting a guy, getting the ball to good players usually ends up doing good things for your offense, yet he continually refuses to even entertain that notion in any way, shape or form and what he's doing right now and what he's been saying about Desmond Ritter is also absurd. It's been absurd last week. He's defending Ritter there. he got a question asking him about Desmond Ritter's stats and why people don't think he's played well when the stats are objectively bad. And he says, well, people don't watch the tape. You know, people aren't watching the tape on Desmond Ritter. And I tend to agree that the tape, is more favorable to his play than the pure stats are. But that's cuz the pure stats are terrible and I think he's like doing some nice things that could like could still like lead to him being an NFL starter, you know, a long-term NFL starter. That he's not like completely write him off with how he's started so far. But here's the thing, you can't say that and then when he's cleared from the concussion protocol after the first half here by the doctors said he is fully healthy this past weekend. You cannot then bench him the second half, put in Taylor Heineke and say it was because of health concerns. If the doctors clear him, the health concerns, are you claiming you know more than the doctors here to clear this guy? Who cleared this guy? Are you saying that he didn't get concussed, but his play suggested he may have been concussed and that, Now we need to, uh, now all of a sudden, like we need to go to the backup quarterback who's going to play better than Desmond Ritter. And when I flip on the tape this past week at Desmond Ritter, like he didn't have many options on some of these plays. So if the stats aren't good, but he's playing well, you know who that falls on, Arthur Smith? (laughs) You know, you know who that goes back to? That goes back to the offensive coordinator, the guy designing these plays that are making him be worse statistically than you think he is from a performance perspective. Because then that seems like it falls at your feet, Arthur Smith, unfortunately, if he's playing better than the stats suggest. Because as much as I do agree that, you know, you can say Drake London, Kyle Pitts, Bijan Robinson, their stats aren't as important as winning games. They're individual, they themselves, putting up stats doesn't matter towards winning games. But you can't make that same argument with Desmond Ritter. Him putting up stats is massively impactful to you winning games. That has been proven again. If there's any takeaway from analytics, it's that quarterback statistical performance means a whole heck of a lot when you're talking about winning football games in the NFL. So then ultimately this falls at your feet. So, and again, they didn't give him any answers. They didn't give him options. They did not have quick game options against the Tennessee Titans defensive line that was getting home quickly that's a problem that's i I don't know what more he could have really done in that game but yeah i I think at some point fantasy analysts are gonna show up at his house this season stage their own little jane six protest it could happen uh crazier things have happened all right before we get to number one today's episode is brought to you by fanduel snap into the action This NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book right now. New customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over, unders, and more. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner. Of the NFL. For the number one takeaway from week eight of the NFL season, I, I think that the two top head coaching candidates in the NFL right now are defensive coordinators and not offensive coordinators. And it is Lou Anarumo of the Cincinnati Bengals and Mike McDonald of the Baltimore Ravens. I know everyone's looking for that guy on the offset, everyone wants the next Mike McDaniel. But I do think that these guys are, I don't want to say necessarily innovating on the defensive side of the ball. There's not a ton of innovating, but they get it. These guys get it on the defensive side of the ball in terms of how to game plan. What I talked about last week with Austin Gale, the things that are needed to be a good defense. It's not one scheme. It is how can you avoid your mismatches, how you can game plan for opponents to exploit their mismatches, and how you can put together cohesive defense They're doing it better than anyone else right now. Now, Mike McDonald this past week going up against the Arizona Cardinals, whatever. Like, we don't have to dive. I didn't have to dive too deep into that all 22. It was a bloodbath for the first three quarters until garbage time when they came back and scored a handful of points. But this is the number one defense in DVOA this season. He has put some masterclasses on tape. I, I love the way they deploy Kyle Hamilton and those two linebackers in Patrick Queen and Roquan Smith, because they just have, they can cover so much ground, those guys, over the middle of the field, that they mix it up, and it's the diversity that both these defenses play with, to me, that's the calling card, the hallmark of what makes them so special, this is not, this is not a, you know, this is not a Fangio, sit back and cover four, this is not a uh, Pete Carroll, Legion of Boom days, sit back and cover three, this is throw the kitchen sink at your opponents, and and Lou Anarumo, against the 49ers this week, he had Tight fronts up front to free up his linebackers to drop uh, into coverage and then through the kitchen sink in terms of what they were doing. They were doing some drop eight, double-team man stuff. On and They had one a key third down in that game where they had a double-team on Christian McCaffrey. And that was Brock Party looks right to him, and they shut that one down. They had a number of just great calls in that game to basically – not let the 49ers get any explosive plays down the football field. I, I really, and that's been Luan room kind of calling card. He there's no one better in the NFL right now about going up against a top tier offense and not letting them basically have their way. Not, not let slowing them down to a degree to where man, the Bengals for as much as they started off so rough this season I think you have to. I think you still have to be afraid of this team. And now they're a little behind the eight ball because the AFC North is such a powerhouse right now. That is the minimum. That is the best defensive division in the NFL. Uh, I think it's also the best division in the NFL. I don't think that's a hot take to say at all. I think it's pretty clearly that. So it will be a dogfight down to the end to see who does make the playoffs from that division. But they have, I mean, they may legitimately have three of the. Four, four of the top like eight defenses in the NFL right now. So every single week, it's going to be tough. I, I, I'll i get more into Anna Ruma and Mike McDonald, though, I will say a little later this week, because tomorrow I'm ranking the steals of the 2023 NFL draft. We're we'll ranking some non first rounders who are balling as rookies. But then on Wednesday, we're ranking the best coordinators in the NFL, not head coaches who call plays. I want pure coordinators prepping for a little hiring season this upcoming, obviously later on when some guys do get let go at the head coaching position. So there were my top five takeaways from week eight of the NFL season. Again, steals the NFL draft tomorrow, best coordinators on Wednesday. We got Austin Gale then coming on Thursday. Not quite sure yet who we'll have on Friday, but we will be ranking some prospects on Friday. So thank you for listening to Renner Ranks, part of the Locked On. NFL podcast network your team every day.